0: Almighty God, look mercifully upon your people, that by your great goodness they may be governed and preserved evermore, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. <clears throat> if, uh, if I were to ask about a meal in your history, something that you, a, a, a particular meal that you shared In your, uh, in, in your life, in your time past, of what kind of memories does it conjure up for you? What would you, what would you be thinking of? I, as a kid, grew up, uh, down in Lubeck, and we would go to Sandyville, to our grandparents' farm, and we would go every other week, because this was my mother's parents, and she had a sister, and her kids would come, our, our families would meet there, and we would have a shared meal, and typically it was roast, mashed potatoes, gravy, uh, some salad with some funny homemade dressing that I've never tasted since that we quit that. Um, it makes me wonder about it. It's like mayonnaise and something all just mixed up and, and slathered on there, and that's what you ate. You didn't have choices. And you come to our house right now, you have choices of salad dressing. That, that was no, there was no there were no choices there. This is what we had. We had water, tea. And that was, our, that was our meal. And it was like next, uh, in two weeks we'll come back again, and chances are good it's going to be basically the same meal. Oh, and, and fresh green beans, either directly from the garden or that were canned that had been grown in the garden. And the potatoes were probably also grown in the garden. So when I think of that, I think of the smells, the laughter, uh, the co- older cousins sitting around reading the paper, being interested in things as a little kid that I wasn't interested in, those kinds of things, the older cousins playing on the piano and Grandpa joining in with hymns that we would sing. These are the things that come back when I think of that meal. Well, today's lesson is about two different meals and what, um, what, what they represent. So the lesson is about the two meals that remind us of these mighty acts of God in saving his people And then the first one actually points to the second. So this ultimately becomes one meal. So the first thing we're going to look at is the first meal. And it was a meal to remember the exodus from slavery in Egypt. So verse 7 says, Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare a Passover for us, that we may eat of it. So this Passover meal, um, this was this meal for the Jewish people that uh, commemorated them sharing. As they shared in this meal, they would remember how they were enslaved for 400 years in Egypt. And they were... Uh, Mightily oppressed they, they Pharaoh had uh, taken advantage of them ultimately their cries out to the Lord, the Lord heard their cries and he came and rescued them and <clears throat> they were to eat in the, at the end as he's rescuing them as they are uh, about to exit uh, Egypt they were to eat of a meal they were to prepare a meal. By slaughtering a lamb, kinds of directions, but at this time of year, they were to come back and celebrate in this place. They would either bring their own lamb, again, everybody is going to still sacrifice their own lamb, or they would come from such a distance that they couldn't bring the lamb so that they would trade for this lamb once they were in, this, in, the, in the town. It would come time to sacrifice this lamb, and the one doing the offering, the one who brought it, I would bring it for my family. And I, along with the priest, would put my hands on the head of the lamb as the head is being pushed down on the altar and so that the blood is drained out of it. Now, the reason I'm participating, and it's not just the priest, is so that it says, I have a part in this. This, The reason that this lamb's blood is shed is for my sin. I have an actual touch-feel kind of relationship, the smells, this blood and gore. And I would describe that more. I'm just afraid some of us would get sick. And it just had to be awful. Because I mean, we're talking thousands of people showing up, thousands of lambs being slain, and there's got to be this massive amount of stuff running everywhere. And each family's representative is to help put their hands on the head as this lamb is sacrificed. But I think, and and I think there's this thing where because... Those uh, things we do as a tradition can add comfort to us. And he needed comfort as for what lie ahead for him. But I think there's more than that. I think there's something he wanted to show them in the midst of this Passover, which we're going to get to. But he told John and Peter, go and prepare the place. And so in verse 9 it says, And they said to him, Where Where would you have us prepared? And he said to them, Behold, When you have entered a city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the great guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished, prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. So the uh, Peter and John are on the inner circle. So they've been sent and now they know where it's going to be. And it's my understanding from this that they then would have been the representatives to take the lamb to get it sacrificed to bring the lamb back so that they could. Then this preparation, that's what all this entails. There's a lot to it. But Peter and John go and the rest of the um, disciples um, or apostles wouldn't have understood where they were going to share this meal uh, until they got there. So Peter and John, as they entered the city... They were to look for the man carrying the water, uh, the jar of water, which seems like a strange, if, if, if this is a city with thousands of people descending upon it, this seems like a strange, you know, like, how about a red vest? Or, you know, how about, how about the orange hat? Give me something more, Jesus. But this would stick out as much because typically women were the ones who carried water. So you're going to go in, you're going to see the man carrying the water, you're going to follow him to the house he goes into. And it would have been actually as easy as if he had had an orange hat on. And that that owner of the house, perhaps even the man carrying the water, would have likely been a disciple of Jesus. So when we talk about disciples of Jesus in the in the uh, as we're reading along in the New Testament, many times we are thinking of the twelve, and many times that's great. But a lot of times we have to understand that he spoke to a larger group of people, and he had a larger following than just the twelve. So if we could imagine somebody beyond the twelve in the hundred and twenty-ish range or whatever that would follow him from place to place and listen to him preaching, and then there were still even more that could have been considered disciples who have been influenced by his teaching, this is likely one of those kinds of people. And, and the man had something to offer. He had an upper room in his house and he offered it to the Lord for his use. And it appears that Jesus prepared this ahead of time. So this is that, that whole How much did Jesus utilize of his godly, divine power? Meaning. Then for each individual, you've done this every year. And so it has significant meaning for you. You know how it goes. And in the midst of it, Jesus does this weird thing. He he switches things up. And in the midst of doing that, he's pointing to a second meal. And this second meal is to remember the exodus... From slavery to sin, so it's a, and it's a real meal that we're also eating. So the objective is not the meal, but it's really what the meal is pointing to. So in this meal, there would be four cups, and this and this would have been the tradition. This would have been the thing when Jesus is practicing this. There would have been four cups throughout the meal, and typically each person would have had their own cup of wine to drink out of. As we, as I understand this scripture. In this first um, cup that he sends around, I think is the first cup of the meal. So he, Luke, is talking about two cups. Matthew and Mark, the other the other accounts of this, are only talking about one cup. In this, he 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 mentions these two cups. So the first cup is the first cup of the uh, meal, and instead of each individual having their own Or their four cups, or the pitcher to fill, refill their cups. It says that he passed this cup around. And it's emphasizing that communal aspect of this meal. So this is, this is a, this is a tight thing which we celebrate as a group. He with his disciples. There's an intimacy going on here. It's not a mass distribution to thousands. This is the thing he's sharing with his people. So he passes this cup around, and they, uh, divided among themselves, as it says. Everyone knew how this was to go. Just to, like I say, if you've been here three weeks, you kind of understand what we're going to do after we get done preaching, after, you know, whatever what the next thing is. There's a rhythm to this, and everyone knew how it was going to go. The, nobody knows where they are. They find their places to be, and they end up going back home, and they're talking to mom and dad. They're talking to their wives. They're talking to their brothers and sisters, and they're recounting their journey over these last three years, and they're talking about some of the things that they've seen. Can you imagine that recounting of that and saying, and then we got to this last, that's that last supper deal. We got, we got to the Passover meal. And again, this is something that they know. Whoever these people are going to go share this with, they know, they know how the Passover meal goes. And they would know the significance of the blessing of the bread and then what was supposed to come. And so when the disciples have this very disconcerted look on their face and, they, and they're like telling their friends, their neighbors, their family about this weird thing that Jesus did in the midst of this Passover meal he said, this is my body which is broken for you. What? What is that? But that's not all. So then he took a, he took the cup and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is my blood, shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And they're trying to make sense of this. They're trying to make sense of this. This, this is unlike anything they had ever experienced. We take it for granted. This is what we know. I'm telling you, this would have been weird. I don't have nothing to compare this to. There's a, there's a thing where you're expecting, you know what's to happen, And in the midst of it, there's this strange thing that then enters the person's minds and they have to dwell on this over and over and over again and trying to make sense of it, trying to interpret what they have just experienced. This, as we know it, these words are the institution of the Lord's Supper. This that we do every week. Jesus said, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you. This is the blood of the new covenant. And again, get the context. And it's bloody and stinky. The people know it. The people know of the blood that is shed to ratify the old covenant. And he says, this is the blood in in this cup. This is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for you, for the forgiveness of sins. What does that mean about the lamb that we just took, put our hands on, the blood drained out of? What does that mean? In Jeremiah 31, this is what Jesus is referring to. In Jeremiah 31, a prophet of the Lord, Jeremiah, Talked about that the Lord was going to make a new covenant with his people. And in this new covenant, which is promised, in this new covenant, people would have the law written on their hearts and they would not need to be taught one to another about who God is because God was going to move in them and draw them to him. He would reveal himself to them. And then their his law would be on their hearts. And so they would have a desire to obey his law. This is the new covenant he's talking about. And he said that he would remember their sins no more. And then Jesus, in this meal, in this very normal, regular meal, does this weird thing and saying, I'm the fulfillment of that. The new covenant has come. It has come in me and it will ratify this new covenant. The Old Covenant was ratified with the blood of bulls and goats. That's what Hebrews says. The book of Hebrews says that the Old Covenant was, was ratified with the blood of bulls and goats. And the New Covenant is ratified with something much better. It's a better covenant altogether. It has a better administrator. It has a better sacrifice. It has better blood. Because it's the blood of Jesus that seals this covenant. It's a better covenant all the way around. Through the death of Jesus, we are made acceptable to God. He sees us differently. He sees us robed in the righteousness of Christ. We are in Jesus. And in this meal, we encounter this Jesus. So we don't merely remember Jesus. But we encounter Jesus in the meal. And as we participate in this meal, we draw near to him and he is present to us. If you're wanting to find intimacy with Jesus, yes, I, and I get, music can draw you close. The songs that we sing, sing our theology. We are drawn closer because of the songs we sing. So I I, I agree with that. But the most intimate thing that we can do to experience Jesus is receive the bread and the cup. From some of us who experienced the low church kind of background with the little chicklets that pass through the pews and the little shot glasses of grape juice, we may not have that connection. But this is what Jesus says, is that as you drink this blood, as you eat this bread, my body, you will be nourished. It is hard to imagine that as we take a little chunk of bread and a little sip of juice or wine that we could be physically nourished but yet in this meal he says we're spiritually nourished so that we are empowered and enabled to live for godly lives to live for God and not ourselves We do also remember. So we encounter we encounter the presence of Jesus. But we also remember. We remember his death, we remember his resurrection, we await his coming in glory. That's one of one of our communion liturgies says. We like the Jewish people with the Passover meal participate in another meal in the here and now, in the present. The Jews would go through the liturgy remembering that God had delivered us. They would say how He delivered us. As they connected that story of the um, somebody might want to shut that door. Um, as as we as they would talk about that story about the Exodus, they were participants in it. They would talk about how God saved us, how we did this. This is 2,000 years difference. There are 2,000 years difference between the time that the people were delivered from slavery in Egypt to this time we're talking about now. Yet the Jewish people, even if we were doing it today, we would say it was us and we. It's what God did for us. And it's by participating in this meal, they're looking back and participating in the first meal. By by going through the stories and putting themselves into the stories, they are recognizing that though it was many, many forefathers away, God has saved them through this meal, as this meal commemorates. And they would have a connection to all these people who had gone before them. So it's one meal that then gets re-celebrated year after year after year. So you are 2,000 years away celebrating in the first meal. We do the same thing. We celebrate in this meal, which happened 2,000 years ago. We're celebrating in it today. It's very real. And we are looking back to that meal that happened, and we're participating in this meal that we're just talking about. In this, where these disciples are shocked, we are participating in this meal, and we're recognizing that it's his blood that is shed for us. This is very personal. It's very communal. There's a corporate aspect to it. It's all those for the 2,000 years who believe this, who this is true for, but it's very true for us in a very personal way, and we are in the midst of this story because of that meal. Some people use the term anamnesis, and I think I said that about right, anamnesis, to describe what's happening here in this, in this, as we participate in communion. But we're not just participating in this previous meal. We're actually participating in a heavenly meal. And in Revelation 19, Jesus talks about the uh, great banquet, great wedding ba- banquet of the uh, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so the people from every tribe and tongue and nation are gathered in this praising Jesus. And there's this meal that we get to set at the table. What we're doing when we participate in the here and now is we are participating in that which is to come. An example I've I've heard explained um, is the uh, concept of an acorn. In the acorn, there's there's an oak tree. The oak tree is waiting to grow. So the acorn falls in the right land and and goes to seed and, and bears fruit. As time goes by, it becomes this giant oak tree. So it was really an oak tree in the beginning as it was the acorn. So there's this participation of the oak tree even in the acorn. As we're participating in the here and now in this meal, it's a foretaste of what is to come. So we remember in this meal what has happened in the past about what Jesus did, what Jesus did on the cross. But it's a, we're also partaking of this thing promised for the future. So it's the both and at this point. And there is a sense in which we do lift our hearts up to the Lord. And we join the heavenlies, the archangels, the angels, the archangels, and all the company of heaven who forever sing this hymn. As we join in our worship, we are joining with those who've gone before us. And in a very physical way, when we take the bread and the wine, that reminds us that we are doing that. We, in our way of thinking, that's a little challenging for us. But spiritually, this is what's going on when we go through this communion that we do. So we look back and we remember and recall what God has done for us in the Christ event, if you will. The coming, the incarnation, the life, the ministry, the death, the resurrection, all that stuff. The Christ event, we look back for that. But then we also look around in this meal at the present. And we recognize that we're not the only ones taking communion. I believe the way we practice receiving communion here uh, is it's the both end. It's a corporate, but it's also the most intimate in a personal way, and we, there, there are a zillion different styles and different traditions, and we could do it different ways. I like the way we do it because it it gets to be like just me and Jesus, but it's not just me and Jesus; it's also all of us. And so I'm forced to look around in here, but then beyond here, to say, "Oh, those who participate in this meal are being drawn into one body." And though we have differences, again, we're from every tribe, tongue, and nation, this fulfillment of what's to come in Revelation we're seeing in the here and now. So in different contexts where we're not all just a bunch of white people, you would see different tribes, tongues, and nations being present. You would see that every socioeconomic class is represented. You would see the different skill levels of different people represented. You would see people from different backgrounds, different family backgrounds, All becoming one family here. They say that all ground is equal at the foot of the cross. There are no differences. There are no separations. And we all need what Jesus offers us in the cross. But then you move that to this meal and the same is true. So we need what he gives us in this meal. And so we're convinced then as we're looking around that we are members of this body that he is gathering unto himself. And we are one in him. So we look back, we look around, and then we look forward to that feast where we get to sit at the table with the Lord. And we're reminded of two points to establish our view of our current times and our interpretation of the world. We're reminded in this meal of the gospel, of what Jesus did for us when we did not deserve it. We just sang that, Yet even in my sin, His blood was shed for me. Yet even in my sin. His blood was shed for me. He doesn't say, if you'll get cleaned up, I'll forgive you. And in this meal, we're reminded that in a very physical form. He says, you're forgiven. You're mine. All that I have is yours, and all that you have, I take. A beautiful picture of the gospel. So we're reminded of two points. The gospel, and then where we're going. We're reminded in this meal, just in the simple taking of this bread and wine, of this that is to come. That this is not our home. That we are residents of heaven. That we are sons and daughters of the king. That we get to be brought into the family and seated at his table. And we get to dine with him. This is a beautiful thing that's represented just in this simple meal that we do called communion. Or the Lord's Supper. Our gaze is cast beyond the here and now to what is to come. It's in this mystery of the Lord's Supper that all of this that I've just discussed is happening. But it's so much more even than that. With a small piece of bread and a sip of wine, we wouldn't be able to be physically nourished at all. But somehow Jesus spiritually nourishes us in this meal to be having perseverance to make the long haul. To make it into the kingdom and be at his table. It's in that that we are nourished so that we can live a life of godliness unto him. It's in response to what we have experienced in this meal. What we have have experienced in his presence. What we've experienced in the gospel of of then how we live. That question of how now shall we live? This meal tells us this every time we receive it. We should put off the old self and live for him. This is the power that we have to die to the world, the flesh and the devil, and live for him. So, as we come to the table, let us come expectantly. Let us come expecting to meet the Savior here. Expecting to give ourselves away in response. In this self-giving meal that he gave us, this is my body which is given for you. Let us receive that and then be willing to die to ourselves, to give ourselves away for the good of his name, so that all may hear of his wonderful grace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray.